0: This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandprez.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. This morning we're going to begin a new series on uh, the book of Jonah. I love uh, the Old Testament. Sometimes I'm a little bit uh, intimidated uh, by the Old Testament. There's these different categories of writings. You have, you know, from Genesis, uh, you have the historical narrative that really tells the story of the people of God, right? And then you have the wisdom literature, uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, and that section that just helps us to understand uh, the character of God. And how he's called us uh, to live in light of what Christ has done for us. Uh, and then you have the prophetic section. And uh, the prophetic section is... is. Uh really tough to get through sometimes. How many of you have ever done a Bible reading plan over the course of a whole year? You don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to, but it's when you get to those prophets, you're like, "Okay, now what's going on here?" right? You know, I was thinking, "Well, let's do something in the Old Testament. It's been a while we did Romans all last school year and Paul draws a lot from the Old Testament. We've done series on the Old Testament, it's been a while so I'm going to do a sermon series on Jeremiah. Boy, this is going to be great, right? I read Jeremiah one, I read Jeremiah two. And I thought this is going to be an awesome sermon series. And then I looked down. and I'm like, how many chapters is in Jeremiah? It's a long, long story, and there's a lot of stuff going on there. And I thought, let's go with Jonah. Four chapters. Jonah because what's interesting about Jonah when you think about like the, the Bible stories that you maybe have learned from your childhood right? there's a few big ones right Noah and the ark right we, rem- we remember that story uh, we think of Jonah and the big fish like that one is s- somehow embedded in our memory uh, but what's interesting about Jonah is that it's not exactly the same kind of prophetic book as the rest of the prophets. I'm going to talk a little bit about what prophets do, but but Jonah is a story about a prophet. It's a story about a disobedient prophet, a story about a man who struggled with the call and command that God gave to him. And I don't know about you, but that's a story that I can resonate with. I can identify with the struggle, with the command and call that God gives to me. And because it's not 65 or 66 chapters long, we're going to take on Jonah this fall and explore more of what God says to us about grace uh, and about mercy and about uh, you and me and the people that God has called you and me uh, to serve. So if you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word, Jonah chapter one, verses one through three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Maybe may be seated. Thank you, Lord, for this word help us to understand what it is you're saying, Uh, not only to the people that you were originally communicating to, but also to us. Help us to understand the call that you've given to us, uh, the love that you have for us, and the mercy that you've extended through your son, Jesus, in his name, amen. Forrest Gump said this, That day, I'll do the accent if I can. For no particular reason, I decided to go for a little run. So I ran to the end of the road. And when I got there, I thought maybe I'd run to the end of town. And when I got there, I thought maybe I'd just run across Greenbow County. How's that? Running. Forrest Gump was running. Movie from a long time ago now. He was running. He was on the run. And here's what's fascinating about this. He doesn't really ever say in the film why he was running. But he was running. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And he had all these people running with him. And then at some point, he decides, somewhere in the middle of the desert, that he's gonna stop running. And he stops, his beard is now long, he's gone back and forth, and everyone's kind of expecting, okay, what's he gonna say? And he says, I'm tired, I wanna go home. And there's a sense of disappointment for all these people that have been running with him and running after him. Why is he running? He never says. We don't know. And I have that same question for you, who are runners. Why would you run? Why would you do that to yourself? Me with a bad knee, who can't run in the way that I used to be able to run. But why do people run? Why do we want to be fit? It's a good way of getting some exercise. It becomes addictive for some people. They they get this runner's high. I've never experienced that before. you run why you have a purpose in running some for some it's a way to just get outside and think and to be in the beauty of God's creation that adds the benefit of cardiovascular health but you just kind of get away and you can think and pray as you run why do we run other people run from God God has given us himself his presence uh, his command to live for him and it's just too much. We don't want to live in the way of God. And so we run. And we and we, we run away from God. Maybe not physically. Or maybe we don't engage with the life of the church. The, the church that is broken. But we, we don't engage with it. We just want to get away. And so we run into other things. We run into our work. Or we run into substances. Or we run uh, to some kind of activity. Because the presence of God is too much for us. Or maybe we've been hurt. And so we run. Or maybe we're angry. And we run. And in the story this morning, we we see Jonah, the prophet, the prophet of God, is on the run. Now, it's an interesting story because, you know, as I mentioned, we, we often think about this, and the first thing we think of Jonah is is the fish, right? When we are selecting a photograph for our uh, cover of our bulletin, right, we have water on it, right? Because we're thinking of Jonah, and we automatically think of the big fish. And, and some people uh, in, in modern day life will just automatically dismiss this account because we are told in the middle of the text, or in, later in ch- chapter 1, that he was saved from a storm by being swallowed by a big fish. Well, how you respond to that statement? And it's interesting because it's really only one verse in the whole story. And the, and the author uh, doesn't actually use that story. He doesn't amplify that. He doesn't talk about the miraculousness of it. And really, it's, it's a part of the story, but it's not the main part of the story, even though it's the thing that we often remember the most. But how you respond to that story is Kind of tells how you respond to the rest of the Bible. Right? Because we believe in a greater miracle, a greater thing that even happened is that a guy who was perfect died and rose from the dead. Let me tell you, if you can believe that, and you can believe somehow that a guy was swallowed up by a fish. Don't ask me how it worked. Don't ask me what he looked like when he got out. But what we're looking at is we're saying, you know, many people believe that that all miracles are impossible. The skepticism. In the end, it's just that. It's just a belief. And you can't prove skepticism any more than you can prove a guy was swallowed by a fish. And so I want to encourage you. It's not about the fish. It's about something greater. So join with me uh, in this study, in this consideration of Jonah we learn what he says in verse 1. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So who was Jonah? Well, we know from the text that he's the the son of Amittai, which is a very small description. There's not a lot of introduction to Jonah. And what we can infer from that is that it's probable that everybody knew who Jonah was. Because some people, when you introduce them, you say, this person needs no introduction. Because everybody already knows who he is. In 2 Kings, we learn that Jonah ministered during this specific time in the history of the nation of Israel and uh, during the reign of a king named Jeroboam II. And we're told that unlike Amos and Hosea, who were different prophets, who were critical in the who were critical of the royal administration uh, of the day, those prophets were critical of the government for its injustice and unfaithfulness. Jonah supported supported an aggressive military policy which sought to extend the nation's power and influence. So the first hearers of this letter would have remembered Jonah to be an intensely patriotic and highly partisan nationalist. It's interesting because his name means dove, but maybe he's more like a hawk. So what do you think about when you hear the word prophet? What does that word mean to you? One of the things that we often think about a prophet doing is predicting the future. Foretelling something that's going to happen uh, down the road. And that is, in some ways, part of what they do. But in the Bible, the prophet's role was actually much different. You see, back in those days, uh, kings would make agreements with lesser kings. If you had a powerful military, a powerful government, you had a lot of uh, uh, geography, and you were strong then you would take over different territories you would expand your influence and the smaller kings or the people who lived in certain areas would see you as a big and powerful king and say you know it's going to make a lot of sense for us to make an arrangement with this stronger king because this king could easily overtake our land so let's make an agreement let's make a covenant with this king and so these agreements uh, were called suzerain vassal treaties look that one up on google it's a treaty between a mighty king the suzerain and the vassal king. And they would write out in, in on paper, here's what you're going to do as the lesser king. You're going to pay me and you're going to honor me. And the greater king would say, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that no one else comes in and bothers you. So we have this agreement. We have a covenant. But, you know, sometimes people don't honor the covenants that they establish. And so if a smaller king started to gain in power and said, you know, we don't need to be sending as much money up there as we have been, or or we don't really need to do it that way anymore, we're going to actually expand our territory, the mighty king would send a prophet to the lesser king and say, hey, I just want to let you know this is the agreement that we had established. And this is the consequence of your actions if you don't honor the covenant that we uh, that I had established. So I'm letting you know that this king is not happy with how you're disobeying the covenant. And so you need to be faithful to that covenant or you're going to experience not the blessings that you've experienced so far, but the cursings of that covenant. Does this sound familiar? Mm. Aren't we in covenant with God? It's interesting that this is the way governments were relating and God used this vehicle not only to communicate with his people about how he related to them, but he does it in a way that they can understand. It was not democracies in those days. And so God sends prophets. And they would understand that a prophet was coming to remind them of the covenant that God had established. And God does the same thing for us. He sends us these prophets to say, look, we've we've made an agreement with the God of the universe. And he's offered us these blessings and these relationships and this wondrous relationship that he's given to us. But there's part of our responsibility is to respond to his goodness by being members of that covenant. And yet, here's Jonah who is not responding. It's a different story. He's not walking in obedience. So here's the next command. And it's a simple command, really, if you think about it. Verse number two. The Lord says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Pretty simple task. Just go to Nineveh and call out against it sounds easy, right? Well, there's an issue. Uh, It's important for us to know a little bit about Nineveh to understand the complexity and the challenge that this call was going to make in Jonah's life. So Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, and it's five times as big as the largest city in the nation of Israel. It's five times bigger than Jerusalem. It's a massive city. Um, It's actually in uh, modern-day Iraq. And at the time, Nineveh was the last word on military power and strength. Uh, Her walls were 100 feet in height and built on a rock foundation. Overshattering those walls were 1,500 watchtowers, some 200 feet in height. Everything about this mighty city. Notice that he says, that great city said that that city would last for centuries. So it was not just a simple task. Actually getting into the city would be hard, but the people who lived there made it even harder. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires in ancient times. Assyrian kings gloated about their militaries conquering other peoples by littering the plains with bodies in war, burning cities to the ground. Shalmaneser III is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations on large stone relief panels. Imagine getting that commission. Oh yeah, you're an artist? Do you do paintings? Great. I'd like you to paint this for me. That's Shalmaneser. They're brutal in so many ways that I did in my research for this sermon that I probably don't want to mention it here. They were described uh, as a terrorist state. During the lifetime of Jonah, they were threatening the northern kingdom, the place where he lived. And eventually they came and invaded and destroyed the capital, Samaria, in 722 BC. Not the nicest group of people. It's not like having Canada as a neighbor, right? Oh, take off, eh? Come on. No, these are the Assyrians. And yet God called a highly partisan nationalist to arise... Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. (laughs) God, he's so funny. He's got such a good sense of humor. Why would you send someone like that? Especially these people that they have no chance of repenting. They're the worst of the worst. I mean, why doesn't God just vaporize these people if they're so bad? Why doesn't he just uh, bring down upon them his judgment? Or he maybe turn them on to one another or use a more powerful nation to destroy them. Why Why would you send one of your own people, Lord, to Nineveh? Well, God wanted Joseph, Jonah to go and to preach a word of warning to them so that they would change. And if you think about it, It's an act of mercy that God is extending to a despicable evil people. Is that God cares about those people enough that he would send one of his own people to warn them. That your evil has come up against me, the God of the universe. You're not as powerful as you think. I am the almighty God. And I want to let you know I have noticed what it is that you are doing. It's an act of mercy that God would even take the time to send one of his own to do this. It was giving them a chance. They didn't even know that they needed an act of mercy. Of mercy, It's a crazy, unexpected command, having the most patriotic person go to the city that was the center of evil, who wanted to destroy them, and telling them about the power and the love of God. It would be like Benjamin Netanyahu going into Tehran and telling the Ayatollah about God's love. It would be like Zelensky going to Putin's house and giving him an opportunity to repent. It would be like Donald Trump telling Nancy Pelosi he was sorry about calling her Crazy Nancy. It would be like John Morant walking through San Francisco telling Warrior fans about God's love for Draymond Green. That's a basketball reference. Draymond Green is a bad guy to the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant is our player that we like. It's a crazy thing that God asked Jonah to do, that's the point. To Jonah, it felt like he would be betraying his own country, his own people, for the sake of those who were legitimately trying to destroy him. Could you imagine God asking you to love someone that you hated in this way? Well, he has. What did Jesus say? Love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Love your your neighbor all all of your neighbors i mean this is crazy because we have a hard enough time loving the people that we actually love <laughs> i love you but i don't like you it's hard it's hard to love those who are close to us, those who we've actually picked to live with us. Why don't you and I get together and do a marriage thing, right? And we'll get married and work it out. And then we're like, "What? Why do you say that?" What? I don't. You, you know, this is the communication problem in the covenant of marriage within our families, right? You, child, were born to me. Why do you do this, Dad? Why are you always asking me to do that? These are the people that we love. We, we've chosen to move into the neighborhood where we've chosen to, loo- to live. We didn't necessarily choose our neighbors, but we chose them in a sense because you picked the neighborhood that you're living in for the most part. You chose to live in the Memphis area. Right? So you're stuck with us. This is where we are, right? You chose this. You could have moved to Sheboygan if you wanted to. Great city, Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. I don't, I've don't. never been there. But Jesus is calling us not only to love the people that we love, but to love our enemies, Our neighbors, our wife, our husband, our children. He's pretty much calling us to love everybody. But what is love? What is love? Is it simply being nice to people? Is it simply going along and just keeping the peace? Is it loving to watch someone drive a car off a cliff without doing every single thing we can to get them to stop? No, love is an action that we have to take to sometimes intervene. And here's the thing. This is what God's asking Jonah to do is to take a step to go toward those people that he does not like. He does not want even to experience mercy and to intervene into their lives. I love what uh, what Zach said last week when he was talking about helping to see people not in a two-dimensional way, but in a three-dimensional way. And one of the ways we do that is that we listen and learn in relationship with people. We engage in conversation. We don't just accept the caricature that we experience from people that other forms of media are giving to us. We take the time to enter into relationship and conversation to understand why is it that you believe what you believe? Help me to understand what I'm missing about your point of view so that I can become a more full person. I don't necessarily need to convince you of my way, but I want to understand you. That's a gospel response. That's a a loving response. Because it allows us to engage. You know, I had a friend one time uh, tell me uh, this story that was really challenging uh, to him because he had a friend that he had known since he was growing up that was not a believer. He was pretty much an atheist. So my friend, let's say his name is Pete, he was a believer in Jesus, an earnest, faithful person, but his friend was not. His friend was an atheist, as I mentioned. But they would have all these uh, fascinating conversations about politics, about art, culture, philosophy. But after a while, one time the friend called him, and he was mad. And he was, my friend Pete was like, well, what's the do? What, what, what are you upset about? His friend said, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, I am a Christian. He goes, why haven't you ever told me about your belief in Jesus? He's kind of taken aback because he'd always kind of hidden that part of his life from his friend out of, you know, just an insecurity about it. And the guy said, Look, if you're a Christian, don't you think I'm going to hell if I don't believe in Jesus? And he's like, Well, you yeah, know, I mean, Jesus is the way that we find salvation. I don't want usually put it like that because I'm from the South, you know. Um, but, yeah. And the guy goes, Well, how can you believe that I'm going to hell if I haven't trusted in Christ for my salvation and you've never even told me. Now the guy was an atheist still. But it struck me because I feel like sometimes there are people in our lives that we have just withheld our belief in Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting you say to people, hey, look, did you hear about hell? Let me tell you about it. There's a better way to approach people about Jesus. And part of it is making them three-dimensional people, engaging in their story, and loving them. But at some point saying, you know, I just got to share this part of my life with you. What really gives me meaning and significance is my relationship with God as I've understood what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And I really wanted to share that with you. Do you. Can I just share a little bit of that story? That feels like a really difficult thing to do, doesn't it? But imagine Jonah going to the Ninevites, and yet God gives us this great invitation because guess where he's put you uniquely in all these relationships with people, and they've seen your life. They know what you value, they know what drives you, and you are the best person in the world To bear witness to the kingdom and to Jesus because if your life has been reflecting the glory of God, then with your words you can mirror what your actions have been saying. And what a blessing it is to be able to encourage people. Because what if indeed the best life that a person can actually have is by being in relationship with the God who created the universe? I mean, isn't that what we really believe? It's not about hell or not. It's about we want to encourage people to understand themselves as made in the image of God, this God who created the whole world. He made every single person here. He made the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Israelites and the Republicans and the Democrats and the Independents. He made us all, and the beautiful thing is that he makes a way for us to know him through his son Jesus. And so when we're talking with people about our lives, including that, somewhere along the way, is a great gift that we can give to people. But why do you think God asked Jonah to share this word with the Ninevites? I think in part because he wanted to teach us about loving our enemies, about his mercy, about his grace. I think God wanted him to share this message because he cared about the Ninevites, but I think it's also because he cared about Jonah. He saw what was going on in Jonah's heart. And what's fascinating about the book of Jonah is that there's really two mirroring uh, sections that really parallel one another. There's like a scene one and a scene two. And they're almost identical. Uh, one, the only difference in the first one is that he's at the sea, in the sea with the, with the sailors. And the other one, he's in Nineveh. But his, the word comes to Jonah in both of those things. And he responds in different ways. And then he engages. It's a, it's a fascinating understanding of the book, but he gives him this simple command. So here's Jonah's response. Look, verse 3. This is uh, the section, the last section of the sermon, Fleeing the Presence. Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord." Well, did you notice that three times, uh, it says Tarshish, like what, what is Tarshish? It's believed that it's modern day Spain. It was like a, a, almost like a vacation paradise, right? It's the place that you would wanna go to get away from it all, right? I wanna go to Hawaii, or I wanna go to Turks and Caicos. That's, that's Tarshish, I don't know if it was, they had hotels as nice as they do now, but like that's where you wanna go. So God gives Jonah a command. And what does Jonah do? Remember, he's the prophet that needs no introduction. He flees. He flees to Tarshish. And it says, He flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Because evidently, according to Jonah, the presence of the Lord does not exist in Tarshish. If I can just get to Tarshish, there will be no Lord there, and we'll have this thing all worked out. You see, the, the lunacy of Jonah's disobedience, right? He, he knows that he's in relationship with the, with the God of heaven who exists everywhere. He's the one that made the sea and the dry land, but he still tries to run. And so when we're disobedient to God, sin, it warps our thinking. We, we begin to think things like, I can get away from the presence of the Lord. If I just don't go to church, I don't have to deal with God. If I can just get away from this situation, I'll never have to worry about it. But we know that in Jonah's head, he has his mindset on disobedience. Look at all the steps that he that he takes. He 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 rises. He flees to Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship. He pays the fare. He gets on board and he goes with them. But like, come on, it's not like an Uber where he's like going, hey, you know, I'm Jonah, pick me up. And all of a sudden, ten minutes later, there's a car taking him to Tarshish. Right? In those days, it takes a long time to get to Joppa which is evidently some kind of seaport. And then he's got to find a boat. And, and how often do the boats go from Joppa to Tarshish? Is it every hour on the hour? Or is it every five weeks? Right, He's got to get down there and he's got to pay the fare. He's got to raise the money, buy his ticket, and then he sits and waits. When's that? When's that boat coming? Now I'm on the boat. Oh, we're not leaving for a while. We've got to get some more supplies. So here he is thinking, I'm fleeing. Great plan, Jonah. You're really running fast. He's not a fast runner. But he has all this time to think about, here's what I'm doing to get away. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like that. God has said, here's what I'm asking you to do in response to the great love that I've given to you. Here's this calling I've placed on your life that you're not qualified for necessarily, but I've made you qualified for because I've invited you into my family. I've invited you into the Father's house as my child, and I'm sending you out, and I'm asking you to do this. And we resist it. We just ignore it. And we have a million reasons. Maybe because we're angry with the people that God is sending us to. Maybe we don't believe in ourselves, and we think I'm not worthy of the calling that God has given to me, but it's not about you. Because you see, God cares about the people that he's sending you to serve and love. But he also cares about you. Because he knows that in responding in obedience to his commands, you are going to flourish. You are going to find life. You are going to find significance. You Think about, we could even look at Jonah's life, that the disobedience of the Lord always comes with a cost. silly to think that you can run from God and we will talk about the sailors and what Jonah's decisions make on the sailors of this boat when you disobey God it's not just you it's the people who are around you that suffer as well so he goes to Tarshish he's hoping to make a sly getaway where God won't find him and this is hard for us to see when we're in the throes of disobedience. We're just saying, Lord, I don't want to do this. Or we've ignored God so long we just feel like, well, this Bible isn't even true. I don't even need to think about it. I don't listen to what my grandma said. It doesn't apply to me anymore. And it's hard for us to see these things when we're disobeying God. Unlike Jonah, we'd rather see our enemies get what they deserve or toppled in calamity instead of seeing the people that God sends us to as those who are made in the image of God, people who are different from us, people who have different political views, different ways of life. Instead of saying, God, you're sending me to love people who are different from me. We see them as the enemy. First we say, oh, those people are, they're stupid, you know, oh, they're stupid. And then, oh, they're, they're, oh they're, they're crazy. Those people are crazy. Oh, those people are evil. There's this progression that happens. And it's because we haven't understood their position or their point of view. We go from uh, stupid to crazy to evil. When if we simply said, help me understand where you're coming from because I don't see it. Then God would use their story in our lives to help us to share the good news. Okay, so Jonah's got this big problem with the job that he's been given. But here's the thing. He's got a bigger problem. And that's his relationship with God. Because not only is he unwilling to do the thing that God asked him to do, but he's got a disobedient heart. He says that since he can't see a reason to do what God is asking him to do, therefore it must not be something worth doing. He's doubting, essentially, the goodness and the justice and the wisdom of God. And here's the thing, friends. This is something that we've all struggled with. The great opportunity for a job that you thought you were going to get, that somebody got, and you're mad at God. That relationship that was perfect, it's over. God, how could you do that to me? The plans that I had to do these things in covid God, how could you do this? My life didn't turn out the way that I wanted to, and Lord, I deserve better. Does God even know what he's doing? Have we asked that question? Maybe not out loud on Sunday morning, no, but sure. God, why are you doing this? We often run, like Jonah, from the presence of the Lord. Um, in his book on uh, d- discovering Jonah, Rediscovering Jonah, Tim Keller points out that there are two different strategies, like Jonah expl- uh, does, to run from God. There's two different ways to run from God. One is to reject God overtly. Uh, Paul speaks about this in Romans. He says that there are those who have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Those who say, I'm rejecting the law of God. And that's Jonah in the first act. He's running from God and disobedient. But then Paul follows it up in in chapter 2 of Romans. He says, you rely on the law and boast in God. You know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. These are the people that say the way that I run from God is through my obedience to the law of God obedience to justify my actions to get favor with God and when things don't turn out the way I want them I can be angry with God because I can say Lord look at all the things that I've done for you I've tried to do it the right way and I didn't get what I deserve and so now you're the one that has the problem there's two kinds of running and Jonah shows us both because the second type Jonah demonstrates for us in the latter chapters of the book Some who are seeking to justify themselves by their own obedience. Some who are ignoring God's law. Paul says both are wrong. He says no one is righteous. No, not one. They're just trying to run from God in different ways. You see, Jonah at first runs to Tarshish, but then later obeys and does what he's what he's asked. But then he becomes angry with God, which reveals that Jonah really is the one who wants to be in control. He wants to be able to say to God, God, this is how it's supposed to work out. I want you to do the things that I want you to do. And I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a, a thought that I've had in my own heart. Lord, I, I know you're God and all that, and you wrote the Bible, but... I really think I know better about how these things ought to be. And what we're learning about Jonah is that that's not the posture that we want to have before the Lord. It's to say, because God gives us these commands to obey, He's wanting to shape us and form us in His image to be more like this this is like the story in the bible we often refer to it as the prodigal son but it's really a story about two brothers you have the younger brother who squandered the family's inheritance and he went out partying and he was in a a pigsty and he realized the error of his ways and he came back to the father and the father saw him he was looking and he ran to the son and forgave him and he had a great big party with a fattened calf So the younger son was running from God in the first way, disobeying God's law. But he realized the error of his ways and came back. But there's an older brother. Remember the older brother. And he comes in and he says, how to the father, to his own father, how dare you? Provide the fattened calf for this son of yours. Not my brother, but this son of yours. You see, the elder brother, he's the one that did the right thing. He stayed home, and he worked a farm, and he deserves a fattened calf. But the father has given it to the son. The elder brother has the spirit that says, I've been obeying you. I've been doing everything right the whole time. And you owe me this, God. And that spirit can rise up within us when we don't get what we want. And there's another brother in that story that's not named in the account. It's the true elder brother who is Jesus. Jesus who went to the cross so that the younger brother would see the error of his ways and respond. And the older brother who had been obeying God for his own self, for his own control, both of those brothers would have the opportunity to see the one who laid his very life down so that those who run from God this way and those who run from God this way would be able to see the grace of God that the true older brother brings. His love, his grace, his mercy. And it's only in the disobedience of our hearts, whether we're running from God this way or we're running from God this way, that can we really see that He is inviting us into relationship. He's inviting us to repent of our disobedience and to have a relationship with Him. And it's a startling thing to see. You know, it's like in the morning, if someone turns the lights on and says, it's time for the time to go to school. The blinds are open and the lights come on. Ah, and it's that first time you've been sleeping and your eyes are closed. And when the lights blow on, all of a sudden it's just, it hurts to see it because you realize, wow, I've been running from God. I've been ignoring everything that God's commanded. And here he is, he loves me. He wants to have a relationship with me. Or you say, I've just been trying to obey God to control him all my life. It's a blinding thing to see. Because it's the glory of God to see your sin and your brokenness. But then to be invited into a relationship with that God who says, You can't run from me. You can't get away from my presence. And you can't control me. And it's not good for you if you could. Come to me. Enter into life with me. Follow me. Find me. Experience the grace and the love that's yours in Jesus Christ. And then as you experience that love that I'm pouring out on you, May it move you to obey, to rethink your view of your enemies. Because you see, we don't really have any enemies in that sense. We're all on the same team, every single person on this globe. Our enemy is Satan and sin and the world. And our Savior is Jesus. And as we go out into those places where God is calling us to go, with love and mercy and kindness and our words about Jesus, we become the people that are on the rescue mission for God. Shining a light. I don't recommend blasting someone with a spotlight, but just shining a little light. Say, hey, can I shine a little light on the gospel here for you? Can I just share with you a little bit about what God's doing in my life and how he's working in my family? I know it's a struggle, and sometimes I don't know what to do, but hear what God is doing. Who's the person in your life right now that needs to hear that? Who's the person in your family, at your workplace, that you have enough relational capital with that you could say, Hey, can can I just take a minute and tell you about what God's doing in my life? That feels risky, doesn't it? It feels like, oh, here's the anxiety coming up in me. But I I promise, I promise that God will bless you if you respond in obedience to that call, that stirring that he's giving to you right now. Is there a person that God wants you to encourage to turn on the lights? Jonah is a story that we're gonna explore this fall to learn a lot about there's a fish, there's the Ninevites, all these different components, but it's about mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's through Jesus that we can have that mercy. Will you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.